like that. You want to Hello, try everybody, that. and welcome to it's this like Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all are having a fantastic week so far. Now that we are at the hump day portion of the week, let's get ready for another edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Now, before we get into today's episode, let's go over the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, you're listening right now, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show One. You can find me on Facebook and YouTube to search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube page, YouTube channel, like and follow the Facebook page, and then of course, once again, you're listening to it right now. The only way you know what I'm saying right now is if you're listening to the Apple Podcast and or Spotify accounts. So might as well just subscribe or follow on both of them. And then while you're doing that, make sure you leave a rating on a five stars. It could be a one star rating, it could be a five star rating. Just let me know. How you feel in the description down below. It could be about an individual episode. It could be about the show in general. It could be about the host. It could be about what we're talking about. I don't care. Just let me know. And man, <laughs> if you if you understand what's going on here. So Logan Blackman, host of the Logan Blackman Shows, records these shows a day before release date. So this is going, I'm recording this on Tuesday, January 10th. This is going out Wednesday, January 11th. Well, Monday, January 9th, we were witness to the most lopsided <laughs> college football championship, not as college football championship game, not just college football semifinal game, the most lopsided bowl game in college football history, 65 to 7, Georgia over TCU. Now, when we were looking at this game, I did not anticipate like the line before the game started was 12 and a half in favor of Georgia. I think the line before the game started was 13 and a half. Yeah, it changed to 13 and a half before the game started. And I thought, man, TCU's a pretty solid football team. They score a lot of points. They're pretty solid defensively. I think that's a little disrespectful. When I I went over to a friend's house last night to watch the game, they asked me what my score prediction was. I said 42-31 Georgia. I really had no issue with Georgia winning the national championship. I said, like when Brady and I were doing our bowl game picks a couple weeks ago, we said Georgia was going to win the national championship. It didn't matter who they were playing, Michigan or TCU. They were going to win the national championship game. It was pretty much written in the stars at this point. But I did not, in my wildest dreams, think that 65 points, let alone 65 points, that TCU would score only seven points was a possibility here. Like, they might as well have not shown up. This was one of those things where it was a game that was so bad, we could have just decided it by email. We could have had an email sent out, wasted none of our time, watching this game, and we could have just gone without our day with Georgia winning back-to-back national championships. I think that's the fourth time in college football history this has happened, or at least in recent memory. It was Nebraska, USC, Alabama, and now Georgia. Or maybe it was quarterbacks that have won back-to-back national championships. I know those four schools because it was Tommy Frazier, Matt Leiner, A.J. McCarron, and then now Stetson Bennett. And we'll get to more about Stetson Bennett here in a little bit. But, man, this wasn't even a contest. Like, this is one of the most brutal games I've ever watched. I I say one of the, it is the, because it's the most lopsided bowl game of all time. I remember watching Oklahoma versus LSU in 2019 with Joe Burrow taking on Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma with Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and the whole lot, freshman Derek Stingley, Kalevon Chison, Grant Delpit, like this elite of elite team that LSU had put together. And they dominated Oklahoma. They They scored like 49 points at halftime. This game was 45 points at halftime. But man, I did not think that this game would be like that. I remember sitting there watching Oklahoma LSU in 2019 and laughing. 
I remember just sitting there laughing because I was so dumbfounded by what was happening in front of my eyes. This is supposed to be a top four team in the nation. And they're getting ass blasted by LSU, another top four team in the nation. And then it happened last night. And I'm sitting there like just confused. Like never in my life have I seen so many wide open plays or so many times where like runners were just free. Like, it was so damn easy for Georgia in this game. So easy. Like, TCU, it looked like they were good. The first drive, they struggled. First drive, they sucked ass. And then they came down the second drive of the game and got a touchdown. So it was like, or not second drive, the third drive of the game, because they fumbled in their second drive. But they got a touchdown in their third drive. It was like, okay, we might the game might have just started. The game might as well, the game just started now. TCU has decided to finally show up. Uh, turns out that was um, what we call a false dawn because that did not happen in the slightest. This is one of those games where the other team is just so much better in every single facet. Georgia is bigger, faster, stronger in every single aspect you could name to re- to represent this game. It all goes in Georgia's favor. Like I don't think anybody in the national audience thought that TCU would get beat by, what, 58 points in the national championship game? 58 points, if I'm doing the math right? Again, I, I can't wrap that number around my head enough. 58 was the, the margin. It was a 13.5-point line. And I was like, oh, that's kind of disrespectful to TCU. Like, according to ESPN, Georgia had a 100% chance of winning in early on in the, second, in the third quarter. Like, it was done. The over-under was 61 and a half. They covered it. Covered the over and covered the spread as well. <laughs> Fairly easily on both. But good Lord. After watching TCU versus Michigan and Ohio State versus uh, Georgia, I was like, wow, this is one of the best college football playoffs of all time. If not the greatest college football playoff of all time. But it's funny how quickly our minds change like in an instant. I remember before the playoff started, when the playoff committee came together, announced the final four teams, the playoff committee came together to get the bowl games and all that stuff, everybody was sitting there like, yeah, this is right. Everybody was sitting there, yes, this is the right thing to do. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, TCU. That's your final four teams. Those are the four best teams in the country, most consistent teams in the country. They deserve to all play for a national championship. Everybody. I could not find one singular person that was like, okay, we need to have Alabama in here. We need to have Alabama in here. And I can understand the idea of having Alabama in here. Because Alabama, though they're not at their best, this isn't an Alabama team of the past where you got riddled with all-stars, on, especially on offense. Defensively, they've got some good pieces. you got like Will Anderson, you got Brian Branch. Like you've got some good pieces on the defense side of the football. Offensively, it's Bryce Young, Jameer Gibbs, and then everybody else. It's not the same Alabama team that we've had in the past. It's basically Bryce Young, do this, and we will hope it works, and then we will try to win the game. And hopefully our defense steps up enough to where we can have the other team score less points than we can score. Because as long as Bryce Young is your quarterback, you'll have a chance of winning the game. Bryce Young is one of the most talented quarterbacks I've ever seen in my entire life play college football. And again, if he was two inches taller, there wouldn't even be a discussion on who the number one overall pick in the draft would be. And I said that fast, but it's true. (laughs) Bryce Young is one of those generational players that if we if he was just taller or maybe just a little bit heavier, 
we wouldn't be having a conversation about who's going number one overall in April and to who. And we'll get to the Chicago Bears, the number one overall pick here in a little bit as well. But nobody really was like, okay, yeah, Alabama needs to go. There were some outsiders like SEC people like, oh, Alabama needs to go, Alabama needs to go. But the general consensus, I bet if you interviewed about 99% of the population that watches college football, they would have said the Final Four was exactly right. And these are two games, Michigan, TCU, Georgia, Ohio State, that are really good matchups. Like, it's two really good games. And we got two really good games. TCU and TCU Michigan was an awesome game. Ohio State, Georgia. Like, can we imagine? This is kind of getting lost on people, I think. Georgia was a 50-yard field goal, one of the worst attempts I've ever seen in my life away from not even being in this game. So we could just have a completely different mindset of, wow, did o- would Ohio State have blown out TCU as much as Georgia did? I don't know. I don't know. I would think so after watching this game, but TCU beat Michigan, who beat Ohio State. So then you got the whole transit property type thing of like, oh, this team beat this team, this team beat this team. Like, Iowa technically is the only team that beat a national championship on the Division One level because South Dakota State won the natty, Iowa beat them, and then Georgia won the natty here. So out of all the, the two FBS or two Division One college national champions, champions, Iowa is the only team that beat them. Just putting that out there. Just putting that out there. But I think it's funny when you look back at that time where everybody's going like, okay, this is right, this is right, this is right. I saw a thing on Twitter today, and it was from Barstool Sports, and it was this guy who was wearing a Mississippi State hat, and I have a little bit of an issue with people of fans of teams of bad, of like not very good teams comparatively to the other top teams in the conference. Talk about how good their conference, like Mississippi State has no right to say that, oh, the SEC is so good, look how good Georgia is. No, Georgia's that's that good. Georgia's just that fast, that strong. Because Mississippi State, you're not Georgia. I would, I hate to bring it to you. You're not Georgia. But Bars, they said he's kind of spitting, though. He wasn't. Essentially, it was like, college football playoff needs to be ashamed. College football playoff, you got this completely wrong. No, they didn't. This is exactly what, <laughs> exactly what the college football playoff should have been. Everybody was perfectly fine with this game on Monday afternoon. It's just sitting Tuesday afternoon where everybody had a little bit of an issue about it. Or maybe Monday night. Like, they were like, what did they do to deserve to be here? Well, they went undefeated in the regular season, lost to Kansas State in the their conference championship game, who's a top 10 team, and then beat Michigan. So, yeah, I think they if they if I think they deserve to be there. I think they deserve to be there. If they got absolutely ass-blasted by Michigan, then, yeah, we could have the conversation of Alabama going in over them, but no. And I understand Alabama absolutely wiped the floor with Kansas State, but you cannot put a two-loss Alabama team in over... TCU, who just lost one game the entire regular season in the conference championship game in overtime. If I remember correctly, it was overtime. I can't really remember. But everybody in the comments like, no, he he wasn't spitting. He just sounded like a confused, drunk idiot <laughs> complaining about something that no one was really complaining about until after the game because we got that revisionist history in our head. This game was good until the game started, and then everybody started questioning whether or not this game should have happened. No one was questioning it when Michigan beat, when TCU beat Michigan. Not a single person said TCU does not deserve to be there when they beat Michigan. But now that Georgia killed them, who Georgia could have killed Michigan, they could have killed Alabama. I understand they didn't beat Ohio State, but these schools, you look at, I would look at like Michigan and, uh, and TCU just as a, an example here. Because these are the two teams that would play them. I really have a hard time believing Michigan would have done a whole hell of a lot better. 
Because when you look at the, the structure of each of these two teams, they're run-oriented teams first. I know they're talented enough passing. Michigan got better in passing game as the season went on. But the reason Ohio State was so successful is because they could air it out. Georgia's strength comes in the middle of their defense, the defensive line linebackers. They got some good pieces in the secondary, like Chris Smith's a really good safety. Keely Ringo, solid, yo, erratic, though erratic at times, corner. Like They got pieces, but Ohio State can air it out on them. TCU does not have the aired out capabilities that Ohio State does. And Ohio State also has a very good offensive line with two tackles that, well, we know one of them is going to go in the first round, Paris Johnson Jr. And Dewan Jones has an outside shot of going in the first round. Though a possibility, probably in like the late 20s, early 30s, maybe we, look, we creep into the late second round with him. But Ohio State matches up well with Georgia. Georgia will dominate the trenches. That's what they're known for. It's what they were known for last year when they won the national championship. That's what they're known for this year. They have the number one player in the draft this year. They had a top, I don't know, you could rattle off a list of top players in the draft. They had three of the top ten players in the draft, arguably, on the defensive side of the ball. Though Devontae White had a bunch of character issues that people were concerned about going into the draft, so we ended up falling a little bit later. And we'll talk about the Packers here in a little bit and Quay Walker and all that stuff. But, man, they just don't match up well. It's not that TCU did not deserve there. Everybody knows TCU deserved to go there. And you're just and wearing the Mississippi State hat does not help your case at all. That's like Iowa fans bitching about, like, <laughs> like let's say hypothetically, Ohio State beat Georgia. It's like, okay, why, why are you hyping up? Why are you saying anything? Like, and the funniest part about this whole thing is Mississippi State got beat 45-19 to, 19 <laughs> to, 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 to Georgia earlier this year. So it's not like they would even put up a really big fight in this game either. Like, I, I just find it funny. No one really had an issue with this college football playoff until now because we saw how dominant Georgia was. Georgia was up for it. Georgia was really up for it, and they absolutely dominate. Again, just bigger, faster, stronger. Too fast, too too big, too fast, too strong, too good, as Stacey King once said about Derrick Rose back in the day. Just crazy. Did TCU deserve to be there? Yes, they did. Would Alabama perform better? Maybe. We don't know. Alabama didn't even play Georgia this year. And people complaining about that. Alabama got beat by Georgia bad last year in the college football championship game. Like, you look at the past few college football national championship games because people are like, oh, man, this is supposed to be the game of the year. Everybody's looking forward to this game. No one's really bitched about how bad these games are until this one. And I understand why. I mean, 58 points in the national championship game is not great. But Georgia... They beat Alabama 33-18 last year. Granted, one of those was a pick six late in the game, but they dominated that entire game. Then you look at 2021. Ohio State-Clemson, 52-24. This is a game where Ohio State-Clemson. Ohio State-Alabama. Ohio State killed Clemson in the semifinal game, and then they got dominated by Alabama in the national championship game. They won 49-28 to in the semifinal game against Clemson. 49-28. Then you got LSU-Clemson. 42-25, LSU. Dominating game. LSU had 28 points at halftime, took the, <laughs> but took the pedal off the medal in that game. They beat Oklahoma 63-28 in the semifinal game that year. 63-28. And then we had 2019. Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, freshman year. Beat your beloved Alabama 44-16 in the national championship game. As a freshman. As a freshman. 44-16 in the national championship game. Then you got 2018. Okay, we had a close game because that, that was the overtime game where Tua found Devontae Smith in the end zone for the touchdown. Season before, we had Clemson, close game with Alabama, Deshaun Watson, Hunter Renfro for the touchdown to win the game. Then we had Alabama, Clemson, 45-40. to 
Then we had Ohio State blitz Oregon 42-20. So out of the entire history of the college football playoff, college football championship game, we have had, what, three close games? If my math is serving me correctly here? Three close games. And now we're going to start bitching about, oh, TCU didn't deserve to be here. It's happened a bunch before. It, <laughs> like, these games have not been close recently in the championship game. Like, 52-24. Ohio State didn't do anything in that game. They didn't do anything. <laughs> they were done 35-10 at halftime. Then you got LSU. <laughs> 28 points at half. 42-25. Dominated that game. Dominated. Clemson, Ohio, Alabama, not even a competition. First quarter was kind of close, and then it was over. Over after the first quarter. Alabama scored three points after the first quarter. Three points. You want to know how many <laughs> points Clemson scored in the second quarter? 17. So if they just played those quarters, they already won the game. They were already up 14-13 early on in the game, too. Freshman Trevor Lawrence in this game. With Tua as the starting quarterback of this team. And this is an Alabama team with three wide receivers that were drafted in the first round, a quarterback that would get drafted in the first round, three off to linemen that would not only get drafted in the first round, but get drafted with top 20 picks. Irv Smith Jr., second round draft pick. And then we had uh, uh, Ross Pierce-Bocker, Cedar Falls native, fifth round draft pick. And Damian Harris, who's been balling out for the Patriots recently, third round draft pick. And we're looking on defensive side of the ball. Xavier McKinney's there. Patrick Sertan's there. Mac Wilson's there. He's not doing a whole lot. Is he still on the Browns? Mac Wilson, no, he's on the Patriots now. But Quinn and Williams, they're on defense. Like, that's an elite team. Every single person on Alabama's offense, apart from four, so four of the 11, did not get drafted in the first round. Only four of them. Ruggs was drafted 11th, or 12th, 12th. Devontae Smith was drafted 11th. If I'm doing, I'm trying to, or 10th. I'm, I might be a pick off in all of these. Yeah, 10th. <laughs> Jonah Williams was drafted 11th. I remember that one. He was first off the lineman taking that draft. Alex Otherwood, a reach, but taking 17th. Then you got Jedrick Wills, taking 10th. A pick before Henry Ruggs, I believe, in the draft. No, two picks before, because Mekhi Becton was okay. Never mind. Jerry Judy, 15th overall pick. Tua, 5th overall draft pick. Gets blitzed. By Clemson, who has two first-round draft picks on offense, and Lawrence and Etienne, with T. Higgins, borderline first-round pick there. First pick of the second round, I believe, pick 33. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same year they drafted Joe Burrow. So I get that you're upset that this game was a blowout, Let's let, but just let's not pretend that this is just like, what? This game has always been prestigious. This game's always been super competitive. What the hell's going on? Like, we're just going to forget about all these semifinal games that have been absolute whitewashes, and in the past few, however many college football playoff national championship games have been blowouts. 63-28, and then 42-25. to In back-to-back games, LSU 2019. Like, it's, it's ridiculous to complain about. Like, this is the year we're going to start complaining. And it, you're not even going to bring up the other years. You're not even going to bring up the other years. No, 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 no. It's just this year because there's a Big 12 team and Alabama did go in. Like, who cares? Would Alabama beat Georgia? No. Georgia was going to win the national championship, whoever the hell they put in front of them. Maybe the margin of victory is different. Maybe how they did it be different. But there's no way anybody in the country is beating Georgia that game. 
Now, I do think it's hilarious, though, that Georgia has this, like, Michael Jordan-esque mentality of, like, I'm going to create some negative thing that no one has ever said and then act like this is my motivation. Like, self-motivation. Manufactured motivation is what I want to call it. Like, I didn't see this until this morning. But um, Nolan Smith, outside linebacker for Georgia, probably going to be a first-round draft. For, or late first, late second, or, or geez. Late first, early second round draft pick, probably outside linebacker. They thought we were going to go seven and five. We end up perfect. Who the hell said Georgia would go seven and five? Who 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 said that? This is one of those things where have you seen the thing on? Um, I watch Instagram Reels, but it's on. It's a that short video of a. I want to shake your hand. I want to shake your hand. Let me shake his hand. That's what I want to meet that person who said Georgia would go seven and five. Like this man, like Kirby Smart, act like everybody doubted us. Who the hell doubted Georgia this year? And I went back to make sure that I was not under the influence of I was one of the people that doubted Georgia. Like Georgia, we said at the start of the year, Georgia was a college football national championship contender. They were a playoff contender. I had my prediction before the season started was Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, USC, which I almost got right. Almost got right. If USC didn't shit the bed in the conference championship game, we might have had that right, but. You know, whatever. <sighs> yeah, I don't I don't know where Georgia's manufacturing this from. Because it, it's funny. I do find it funny. But no one has ever said Georgia was not a good football team. Or everybody was like, Georgia can't go to a national championship game. Georgia can't go to a national championship game. Now, there was a point in time this season where I thought Ohio State was the best team in the country. But that wasn't like, oh yeah, Georgia's absolutely ass now. Georgia sucks dick now. Oh man. No. It's not doubting anybody. Everybody in their mom knew Georgia was going to go to a national championship game. Or at least make it to the semifinals. Again, if, they, if Ohio State didn't have one of the worst kicks I've ever seen for a game winner, we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. Georgia was a missed 50-yard field goal away from watching the national championship at home last night. Like, we would have probably seen the exact same thing, but I wouldn't know if we were going to see a lot of thing, people talking about TCU didn't belong if Ohio State blew them out. Because the SEC's got this weird issue in their head. We already see, like Georgia talked about, they, people thought they were going 7-5. and five. Again, I don't know who the hell said that. And I didn't believe that quote was real at first, but I watched a clip of it and <laughs> him saying it. And he said, they thought we were going to go 7-5, and five. we ended up perfect. I could talk, I could talk trash now because I'm done. I'm a dog for life and I'll always be a dog. But you could talk trash now. You could talk trash before. You're the reigning national champs. You, that's kind of the, the the thing you can do. You're on top until you're not. And you can talk trash until you're not. And Georgia was always on top. And there was a week or two this year. They they were dropped down in the rankings behind Tennessee. They beat Tennessee. And then they're back at number one. It was like... Come on me puzzled because I, I'm confused. I'm bewildered. I'm aghast. Like, I I don't get it. I think it's hilarious that Georgia manufactured it, but it's just weird. It's really weird. Did anybody think they were going to beat, TCU was going to beat, well, I guess I shouldn't say that, Lee Corso picked them. I think the, the playoff, the ESPN committee, I think two of the three people picked TCU to win this game, which is surprising. I wanted TCU to win because I wanted Max Duggan, local Iowan, to get a national championship game, but... It wouldn't hurt my feelings if Georgia won. I have no ill will towards Georgia. I liked watching Georgia growing up. 
I liked watching Matt Stafford at Georgia when they played Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl. Now, this was kind of cool, though, last night when they had Matt Stafford and Danny Tomlinson be the, the, the captains or celebrity captains for them because they got the Chargers and Rams players. Kind of same thing. Neither one of them are playing right now. One's thinking about retiring. One is retiring. One's a Hall of Famer. One's not a Hall of Famer. So it's kind of like the, the – <laughs> and I'm only saying that because – one of my friends last night I was watching the game with said Matt Stafford was better than Danian Tomlinson, and I almost snapped his neck. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Man, we've already had this whole discussion about Matt Stafford, a Hall of Famer. Remember when he won the Super Bowl, everyone was like, oh, now he's a Hall of Famer. Well, he wasn't a Hall of Famer before. No one was like, Matt Stafford just needs that Super Bowl, and he's a Hall of Famer. No, no one was saying that, and then he won a Super Bowl, and then it's like, oh, now he's a Hall of Famer. No, he's not. Because if you're going to put him in, you got to put Matt Ryan in. And I know Matt Ryan don't have a Super Bowl, but Matt Ryan's had a better career than Matt Stafford has. Matt Stafford's been a top-five quarterback maybe once his career, maybe twice, three times. And, uh, nah, 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 But I did enjoy watching Matt Stafford at Georgia. I liked Mark Richt. But uh, it's obvious that Kirby Smart is a, a better coach because Kirby Smart has manufactured possibly the next dynasty in college football winning back-to-back national championships. And then it sparks up that whole conversation of could could Georgia beat the Chicago Bears? And the answer is always no. There will never be a college football team that beats an NFL team. You can have the worst NFL team of all time, either the Browns in 2017-18 or the uh, the 2008 Lions. 0-16, the two only 0-16 teams in NFL history. You can have both those teams against the most dominant Georgia team, against the greatest college football team of all time, the NFL team will always win. And the easiest way I can explain this to people is that the NFL is all the best players from college. Like, every person in the NFL is in the NFL. Not every person at Georgia is going to be in the NFL. Does that make sense? There's players on Georgia you will never hear of again after this game. Sad reality of that is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say that for all you who are offended by that, but... There are players in the NFL that are they're in the NFL. <laughs> Some of the very high draft picks. We had what? We had four Georgia players get drafted the first round last year? Five? Five. Yeah, five. That's five. Every single person. I don't know how many Georgia players got drafted last year. There was probably... What was there? 14? 14 Georgia. How many Georgia players got drafted last year? Hold on. We got to look this up. 2022 NFL Draft. Hold on. Because i got to do the quick math here. Because I know there's five in the first round. I know that one for a fact. Okay, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Okay, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Okay, we were one off. Yeah, we we're one off. But I got the first number of first round picks, right? First round picks was five because it was Trayvon Walker, Tra- Tra- Jordan Davis, Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and Lewis Seen. And we're going to talk about, again, Quay Walker in a little bit. But with that, there's also going to be conversation about is this Georgia team the greatest college football team of all time, winning back to back national championship games? And uh, I don't think so. I think the two greatest college football teams of all time are the 01 Miami Hurricanes and the 2019 LSU Tigers. And the ones I've watched, LSU's the greatest team I've ever watched. I was too young to remember, and I didn't really. Didn't want to watch college football at that point. If you didn't know, my dad's a massive Buffalo Bills fan, so we were watching Bills games during that time. We are not really watching a ton of college football, and especially on Monday night. I don't know if the national championship was on a Monday night back then either, but that LSU, that Miami team was stabbed, but the best team I've ever watched and remember watching 
was that 2019 LSU Tigers team. And that 2019 LSU Tigers team beats this Georgia team. Beats this Georgia team. Because you look at what Georgia, what they, like, well, look at Ohio State. Ohio State's a prime example of this. Ohio State put up 41 points in them. C.J. Stroud had 348 yards passing, four touchdowns. They have good wide receivers at Ohio State, but Marvin Harrison's the only true elite one, really. I like Emeka Ibuka, I like Julian Fleming, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is the truly elite one. If Jackson Smith and Jigbo was in this game, maybe we're talking about something different. But you look at the LSU team, you look at Joe Burrow, who's better than Stroud. You look at Jamar Chase, who at this point, would you say he was better than Marvin Harrison? I would say Chase was better at this point. At this point. That's obviously going to be subject to change. Chase was obviously a fifth overall pick. And then Justin Jefferson who is one of the, if not the best receiver in the NFL, just had 1,800 yards receiving. He just led the NFL in receiving yards this year. Chase had 1,000 yards receiving, though he missed about five games this year. I think he played only 12. He had Terrace Marshall, who I think was a third, second or third round draft pick for the Panthers. Like, that LSU team, with the amount of weapons they had, and Joe Burrow playing at his absolute best. Like, C.J. Stroud has had lulls this year. I think C.J. Stroud played an immaculate game against Georgia. But there were times Stroud lulled this year where it was like, oh, what, what is he doing there? I don't remember Burrow having any of those. Burrow has had the single best season I've ever watched for a college football player. I've never seen a player play with that much confidence, that much swagger, and was just that good in that season. I've never seen that before. And people will talk about like Vince Young, Reggie Bush, Cam Newton, whatever. Tim Tebow, like that season, Joe Burrow, that is the most unstoppable quarterback I've ever watched in college football and that team was unstoppable they blew through like they didn't have this game they didn't have this Ohio State Georgia that didn't happen Georgia didn't even score as many points as LSU had at halftime than they did this entire game in the same in the same round of the playoff I understand Ohio State Oklahoma it could be an interesting game there but man that LSU team beats this Georgia team they do. And we're not even talking about defense. Like, Derek Stingley was the best corner in college football as a freshman on that LSU team. Best cornerback in college football as a freshman. Third overall pick this past year's draft. Battled some injuries again this year. Grant Delpit was one of the best safeties in college football. One of the best free safeties in college football. Clavon Chison was one of the best edge rushers in college football. What other players were on this LSU team on defense? Where is this one? Okay, here we go. Yeah, <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> yeah, we had Claywatch. Christian Fulton starts for the Titans, which is, you know, he's not as good as what he was back then. Patrick Queen started for the Ravens, first-round draft pick. Then you look back on offense, you got Lloyd Christianberry, who's a third-round third draft pick. He plays for the Broncos at center. Clyde Rosalaire, like, this LSU team was elite. It was elite, elite. Like, they do not lose to Georgia. I'm sorry. Like, this Georgia team, we're talking about them not having any doubters this year or being blasted 7-5. They almost lost Missouri. This LSU team, let's go back to that 2019 LSU season, if I can. Yes, okay, sweet. What was their closest game? They played at Texas, who was ranked number 9 at the time, won 45-38. I remember that game vividly because they were having an argument who was DBU. Played number 9 Auburn, beat them by 3. And that's it, pretty much. They didn't struggle against the likes of Kent State or Missouri. 
They didn't play Missouri this year, but I can guarantee they blow them out of the water. You look at them in the, <laughs> the SEC championship game, they beat Georgia 37-10. They killed teams. The Alabama game, 46-41, is one of my favorite games I've ever watched. That was the same day Iowa and Wisconsin were playing. So they're really testing my loyalties there. But that Alabama-LSU game was freaking awesome. It was a great game. I watched that game. Definitely watched that game over the Alabama, the Iowa-Wisconsin game. Definitely watched that one. Like, I remember at the time, people were talking about how good this LSU team was back in 2019. And there was like less than a percentage of teams in college football would have been undefeated had they played this LSU schedule. This LSU schedule was freaking ridiculous. And they still came out of it undefeated and dominated teams. Absolutely dominated teams. And we make fun of Alabama for the attendance. They had 100,000 people in the stands versus Northwestern State. <laughs> oh, man, this LSU team was so ridiculous. This was a ridiculous team. I've never sat down and, like, laughed watching games before where it's a team that I didn't even bring up Thaddeus Moss, who was a baller in college, went undrafted. But, man, this team was ridiculous. See, that guy Ica was on this team? He's going to be one of the top uh, defense alignment in this draft. Possible first-round draft pick. He's he's basically another version of Jordan Davis. Just a little bit better getting after the quarterback. Just not as dominant inferior, interior, though he's bigger. Uh, he's not as tall, but he's 358 pounds. But I didn't know he was on the LSU team. He was a freshman at the time. He plays for Baylor now. But, yeah, th- this LSU team was special. This LSU team beats that Georgia team. I I know I keep saying it, but this LSU team beats that Georgia team. I don't really think there's a lot of people that would dispute that apart from psychotic Georgia fans. Again, this LSU team is the greatest team I've ever watched. I'm in awe by Georgia. I think defensively they're really good, but they have a lot more holes, especially offensively, than this LSU team did. Like, I'm sorry, Derek Stingley, Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, they're not letting Matt Lad McConkey get that wide-ass open in the end zone. I'm sorry. They're not letting Stetson Bennett run all over them and score two untouched touchdowns in this game. Now, about Stetson Bennett, or one, one touchdown in this game, sorry. He had three passing touchdowns, one rushing. About Stetson, though, and this is going to be a talking point going all the way up until the NFL draft. All the way up to the NFL draft. I had people, I was at two different part, or not parties, but I was at two different places last night watching this game. I was at Zach's place, who's been on the show twice before, in Altoona. And I was at my Jared, at Jared and Andrew's place downstairs. Came back to the apartment, went over to their place for a little bit, just so they bringing out the trophy. I didn't stay to watch the fourth quarter. I left, <laughs> I don't remember when I left, but I got back to the apartment complex right as they were giving the trophy to Georgia. And I got asked this question twice. Where does Stetson Bennett go in the draft? And both times, I'm sitting there like, I have no freaking idea. But I saw a thing that pretty much clarified what I've been thinking. Because I said somewhere between like 6th, 7th round, maybe undrafted. Because the problem is, so here's what Stetson Bennett, the problems for Stetson Bennett are. Because I think Stetson Bennett's a fine college quarterback. Uh, he's a fine college quarterback. But that's, again, we've talked about this a thousand times on the show. That doesn't always translate to being a great NFL quarterback. Tim Tebow is one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time. Completed about 50% of his passes in the NFL. And just because you're a great college quarterback does not mean it's going to translate like that. Sometimes it does. And sometimes the people you doubt the most are the guys that turn you around and go, wow, that was freaking ridiculous. Like, look at Brock Purdy right now. One of the favorites to be rookie of the year. I don't know if it's possible he can win it, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the things that hurt Bennett is that he's smaller than me. Like, I'd be small for an NFL quarterback. I'm as big as Baker Mayfield. I'm Baker Mayfield and I are the same size. 
Stetson Bennett is smaller than that. Stetson Bennett is maybe 5'11". Probably, what, 210 pounds? Probably less than that. He's not a big guy. And he'll be 26 by midway through next season. He'll be 20. He's 25 now. His birthday is October 28th. And I know that because I've looked it up because he's two weeks older than me. Two weeks older than me. Stetson Bennett right now, you look at the landscape of the NFL. Stetson Bennett is older than Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, Tua, Sam Darnold, Nat Jones, Daniel Jones, and Justin Fields. None of those guys are rookies, by the way. None of those guys are rookies. <laughs> and Hurts, Herbert, and Tua were all drafted in um, 2020. <laughs> They're all going to the playoffs this year. Kyler Murray was drafted in 2019. Darnold was drafted in 2018. Sam Darnold, 2018 NFL draft. He is on his fifth year in the NFL. Fifth. And Bennett just finished his college football career. That's what's going to hurt him. He doesn't have an overly strong arm. He doesn't have a weak arm by any stretch of the imagination. It's not like he struggles to get the ball deep down the field. But players are so wide open. You noticed this last night how wide open the separation these receivers get. It's ridiculous. Like, their play calling and their scheming is so crazy that people are wide open without even trying. You notice that against Ohio State, too. Late As the game went on, receivers got more and more wide open. And Bennett hits them, to be fair to him. And Bennett's a decently good athlete. But I have an issue with people talking about, like, he ran 20 miles an hour on the treadmill. I would like to say this. I don't know how long he's doing it for, but when I was in middle school at Acceleration Iowa, there was a thing called the Cheetah Club, and you had to run 20 miles an hour, and I was in the Cheetah Club. So I ran 20 miles an hour on the treadmill in the, and when I was in middle school. And I'm not the most fast, I'm not the fastest dude of all time either. So when people are like, oh, he ran 20 miles an hour on the treadmill, cool. It's probably cool for people who have not practiced, like, done speed training or anything. That's, like, pretty standard. Now, he could have been doing it for, like, 15 seconds or something. I did it for about, what, about 5 to 10 seconds? I don't know if I could do it now. I probably, yeah, I could do it now. I could imagine I could do it now. I need to stretch a lot, <laughs> but I don't think I've lost that much speed since then. I think I would like to think I've gotten stronger and faster since then, so... We'll see, but I, yeah, I think his age and his size is going to hurt him in the draft process, but I think winning two national championship games will definitely boost him up, and I think that mentality of coming from a walk-on to no scholarship to being a two-time national champion and being one of the few two-time national champions in college football history, granted, if you're ranking the 22 best players on Georgia, like if you're talking about defensive offensive stars, he probably comes in the 20s. I'm sorry, but you look at Georgia's team, Stetson Bennett, and this is what Kirby Smart does. This is the exact same thing that Kyle Shanahan does. You look at what Kirby Smart does since his time as the Georgia head coach. There ain't no reason Jake Fromm should be starting over Justin Fields, talent-wise. But Jake Fromm is not turning the ball over. Jake Fromm doesn't do anything particularly special if he's not going to lose us the game because we have the players that can win us games. Our defense can win us games. That's what Kirby Smart's mentality is. If you don't screw it up, we will win games. And if you do more than that, we'll dominate games. That's the mentality of Georgia. Because Jake Fromm starting over Justin Fields, especially with hindsight, is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like Shanahan, him and his dad, Mike Shanahan, you just don't turn the ball over, the game plan will sort itself out. 
which is why there's a real chance Purdy comes in the next season as the starting quarterback. And we're not even going to have this conversation if Purdy wins the Super Bowl. But if I had to predict where Stetson Bennett would go in the draft, I would go somewhere late 5th to 7th. Because I feel like some team would rate reach on him like that. Because he's not too dissimilar. He's a little more athletic than Bailey Zappi. And somehow Bailey Zappi got drafted in the 4th round. I don't know how that happened. I liked Bailey Zappi, but his arm's not particularly amazing. And he came from an air raid offense at Western Kentucky, which is why he holds all the records that's in a college football passing yards. He's kind of like that. Like, Brock Purdy got drafted Mr. Relevant, and Brock Purdy and Stetson Bennett are relatively similar-ish quarterbacks, but Brock Purdy's 22 years old. He's three years younger than Stetson Bennett. So that's the, that's the thing that I'm going to try and get my head over, is if will a team draft a 25, soon-to-be 26-year-old quarterback? Because that has never worked out in the history of the NFL. You look at Brandon Whedon and Chris Wingy, who are older than 25 when they got drafted, yes. But then neither one of those worked out. Winky got some decent playing time with the Panthers when he first came in the NFL. Whedon was a disaster. One of the worst first rounds of all time. Whedon, Trent Richardson for the Browns. One of the worst first round draft picks. Worst first rounds for a team in NFL history. One of them. It's crazy. Man, but I get. I congratulate Georgia. I will congratulate Georgia. Stetson Bennett will probably get a statue, even though, again, <laughs> you look at Georgia's team, he's not the reason they won the national championships. He's not. But he's, he's a part of it. I ain't do anything to screw it up either. So he'll get the statue because he's the quarterback. But let it, I, we know. We know. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had like a decently long NFL career as a journeyman backup. Or maybe he got an opportunity to stole it and just balls out. Who the hell knows? Because I know not a lot of people were expecting him to be the starter and win two national championships when he first committed to Georgia as a walk-on. And then went to Juco and then came back to Georgia. And then JT Daniels, the greatest high school quarterback of all time, was transferred 1,800 times. Comes in there. Lose the job. Surprise, surprise, he's not very good. Like we've been saying on the show forever, that JT Daniels was never very good. Now he's playing at Rice. Went from USC to Georgia to West Virginia to Rice. That's a little bit of a, I don't know. I don't know how you want to call that. I don't really, I, that's not really the steps in the right direction if I was, <laughs> if, I, if I do say that. But yeah, congratulations to Georgia on winning the national championship. TCU, don't listen to what people, what idiots are saying. You did deserve to be there. You just uh, didn't show up. I wish we didn't. We just sent an email, though. I do wish we just sent an email. The email game is what we'll call that one. But with Stetson Bennett talking about going to the NFL draft, one thing I could say that I'm pretty confident in saying is that he's not going to number. He's not going to go number one overall. I know he's not going to go number one overall. There's a chance another Georgia player goes number one overall, but that's Jalen Carter. I think Jalen Carter and Willie Anderson, outside of the quarterbacks, are the only two options you're thinking about for number one pick if quarterbacks off the table. And I've been seeing this a lot today surrounding the Chicago Bears and the number one overall pick. And there's going to be speculation because no one knows what the Bears are going to do. You're either taking Carter or Anderson, or you're trading back and drafting the quarterback. Or, option D, so we got option A, trade back. Option B, I guess, well, I guess just two. I guess just two options. So option A, trade back. Option B, draft Carter or Anderson. Option C, listen to Mike Tannenbaum and trade Justin Fields and draft Bryce Young. Uh, I don't agree with that. I, I don't really agree with that. And I'm not saying that I, like, if I'm doing a, like the scouting process between Fields and Young, as prospects, as quarterbacks, I would take Young over Fields, yes. But, 
I like what Fields is doing a lot in the NFL. And that's not even saying like Bryce Young is head over heels over Justin Fields. You know what Justin Fields is at this point in time. You can see what's going on there. Dude set this he's the second has the second most rushing yards in the NFL in a single season. Second most rushing yards by a quarterback in NFL history in a single season. Behind Lamar Jackson when he won the unanimous MVP. Second ever. He's got no offensive line, no real options out wide, got decent running game, but you need to help him. You need to build around him. But there's going to be the people that are like, hey, draft a quarterback. You look at the Arizona Cardinals, drafted Kyler Murray the year after they drafted Josh Rosen. The difference is Justin Fields has shown you he could be a good quarterback in the NFL. Josh Rosen never did that. Justin Fields also doesn't have the attitude issues that Josh Rosen had. Justin Fields is a very likable guy. I like Justin Fields a lot, and I want him to do well in the NFL. And I do agree with Mike Tannenbaum in saying this, where he would they would get a first-round draft pick back for him. But I wouldn't do it. I would not trade Justin Fields. Now, it's, this is smokescreen season. So the Bears are going to be playing their hand because the draft starts with the Bears. The Bears control the entire draft. And I know saying the draft starts with the Bears, obvious. They have the number one world pick. I understand that. But the draft really starts with the Bears. They control everything. Because they can do three things. Everybody wants to know what they do with that pick. Everybody's going to speculate. My idea is that they trade with the Colts. That's my idea. Because you trade with the Colts, you get a bounty much bounty of picks. Because the Colts, will that would be, in turn, jumping a division rival. So you'll always hold that over them. You, We have the guy that you probably wanted. We have your guy. And then the Bears trade back, and you're getting... At four or five or three or four, Carter Anderson. You're guaranteed one of them, or both, depending on if the Cardinals trade back with like the the Panthers or something. Like you are guaranteed Carter or Anderson. There ain't no you're not going to trade back again. Cardinals, if they trade back, they're either trading for a quarterback or trading for one of those guys. But in the end, still you're getting one of those two. So you get your top guy on your board in a position of need while also getting a bounty load of picks from the Indianapolis Colts. Who are going to be desperate for trading for a quarterback? Trading up for a quarterback, I would imagine. Given how many changes they made throughout the season at the quarterback position between Ryan, between Foles, between Ellinger, bringing in Jeff Saturday, like they were all in on the tank. They had a dude strip the ball from his own teammate against the Texans. Like they want a quarterback. I think that's abundantly clear, but I could be wrong. But the Bears, again, they're going to be in the smoke screen season because they're going to they're controlling everything. Ryan Poles was asked if Justin Fields is his guy. Poles said, we're going to evaluate the draft class, which is what you need to do. The thing is, though, that makes this quote interesting, and I talk about this all the time when bringing up the NFL draft regards to the quarterback position. When you have a young quarterback in a new regime, I guess you could say, that regime, i.e. Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, have no connection to Justin Fields. They were not here when he was drafted. Okay? They were not here when he was drafted. They did not draft him. He is not, quote-unquote, their guy. He can become their guy, but Justin Fields is Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy's guy. So there is a reality and a chance that, yeah, they could move on because Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles want, quote-unquote, their guy. Justin Fields could very well be their guy now, they could have trans. They've moved around their head like, okay, we like this guy. We're going to keep with him. But you see it all the time. When a quarterback gets traded, 
the head coach GM's jobs are on the line. Or if that quarterback doesn't work out, head coach GM jobs are on the line because they are responsible for you, especially the GM. GM's job in regards to the draft lives and dies by your first pick, especially if you trade up for him, which is what Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace did. Traded up for Justin Fields. Traded from 20 to 11 to draft Justin Fields. So there is a chance, though I think small, a chance that Justin Fields gets traded because, again, Eberflus and Poles did not draft him. As heartless as that could be, that is a possibility that could happen. And then if you're looking at the draft as a whole, about um, what could happen at the top of the draft. So again, I've already said I think the Indianapolis Colts are drafted number one. And then it's a situation of do they draft pre-draft or do they draft on draft day? That's where we're going to have another discussion on if the Colts will be big movers on the day one of the draft, or they're going to be like the Jets a few years ago when they traded from 6-3 to three to draft Sam Darnold. And they did that on St. Patrick's Day. And I know that because I was down in Kansas City, Missouri, bouncing for a bar down for my friend Zach's, his dad, Zach's uncle down in Kansas City, Missouri, bouncing at a bar when I was, how old was I, 20? <laughs> Got like 200-something dollars doing it. It sucked. But that happened in the morning of St. Patrick's Day. Will that happen here? Will we see the Colts trade up before St. Patrick's Day? After St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> On draft day? But I think the Colts, realistically, I think they're the most likely team to trade up number one. If I had to make a prediction, I would bet a lot of money on the Colts trading up. The other team I could see trading up to number one is the Panthers. Those are the top two teams in my mind to trade up for the number one spot. And I think it might be for two different quarterbacks. The Colts... So in my mind, I like the idea of Stroud going to Indy, Young going to Houston, and Levis going to Carolina. That works in my mind because I think Ursay would want a more uh, traditional-looking quarterback. Bigger guy, pocket passer, can move when need to. We saw that in the, the semifinal game against Georgia. Doesn't like to run, but can if need be. But accurate. Kind of want someone like that. Young's not very big. So Ursay being an old-school guy, and Chris Ballard, this is going to be his guy too, if Chris Ballard's the guy to draft the guy. Who the hell knows? And if Jim Harbaugh comes in as the head coach, who the hell knows if he wants Stroud or Young? Because he played against C.J. Stroud. Did he play against Young or coach against Young? What was last year? What happened last year? 2021, What happened? Did they play? Did Michigan play Alabama or did they play Georgia? They played Georgia. Okay, so he's never played Bryce Young. To my knowledge, anyways. Well, he wouldn't have because he didn't play him last year. So he obviously didn't. But maybe he's like, I played against Stroud or coached against Stroud. I like what he can do. Let's draft him first overall. I like that idea. I like how it sounds with Stroud going to Indy, Young going to Houston, Levis going to Carolina. Even though I think Carolina, if they trade to number one, I think they take Levis. I think Bryce Young, if I had to decide, if I was a GM, I would take Bryce Young first overall. And I've already discussed the, the idea of Levis being a higher-value target than uh, than C.J. Stroud. But like a lot of people have said out there, I think that him and his performance in the College World semifinal game against Georgia would have definitely boosted people up. But I still think Levis, traits-wise, would be the... Uh, for most teams, this is most teams. I'm not saying all teams. I would bet it's like a 51-49 split of 
Levis over Stroud, I would imagine. And people can get upset about that all they want, but I think Levis's traits, size, athletic I think the funny thing about all this thing is I've been seeing a lot of this where Stroud and Young are playing right away or should play right away, and Levis is a project. Levis is like three years older than both of them, <laughs> which I just, I just think that's funny. You think the guy that's older is the guy ready to play, but you look at what Levis dealt with at Kentucky, an archaic offense that did not work to his skill set whatsoever, ran five-step drops from I formation with a terrible-ass offensive line and no receivers. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to work in that situation. Now, in Young and Stroud, they were at the top, top. I think Young worked with less, did more with less than the other two did. Stroud has had the best receiving core in college over the past two years. Bar none. Like, he's elite. Elite, elite wide receivers with C.J. Stroud. Young did not have any elite receivers this year. He had an elite running back and a pretty good tight end, and that was pretty much it. I don't know who you'd even technically say was Alabama's number one receiver this year. I know you could go by the yards, but I don't even know if you would say, like, is Jermaine Burton Alabama's number one receiver this year? Like, what was their final receiving stats? Who was their leading receiver? It was Jermaine Burton. Jermaine Burton had 677 yards, 40 catches. Corey Brooks had 674 with one less catch. Damn, but he had one more touchdown. Then Jameer Gibbs led the team in targets 44, <laughs> 44 catches with 444 yards, and he only had three touchdowns. I was hoping he had four touchdowns. It'd be really cool. Cameron Ladu, 30 catches. Uh, Kobe Predence, 30 catches, or 31 catches, sorry. Trayshawn Holden, 25 catches. Isaiah Bond, 17 catches. Jason McClellan's 14 catches. JoJo Earl, 12 catches. Not having Tyler Harrell for pretty much the entire season sucked because Tyler Harrell, I think, would have been a – or maybe it, was he hurt or what? I I don't know. He was hurt at the start of the year. I think Tyler Harrell would have been special. I, I like to think Tyler Harrell would have been really good. I guess I don't know if he was hurt or if he just got benched or whatever. But there's not really any standout wide receivers. You'd probably say Ja'Cory or Jameer Gibbs was their number one receiver this year. You had to guess. Like, I mean, 44 catches. I'm not even just saying that because of the catches. I would take him easily over all the other receivers. Like, there's usually at Alabama you got at least one really good receiver. Like Bryce Young last year. Had elite, elite receivers. Elite, elite receivers. Jamison Williams, John Mechie, insane wide receivers. 15 touchdowns for Jamison Williams. 15. He's 6'2". You cannot be that fast and be that tall. He's basically a freaking sprinter. They didn't have that this year. So I think you look at that factor, Bryce Young working with, and it's weird saying this because it's Alabama, but him and Levis didn't really work with a whole lot. They both had really good running backs, not really, not a lot of options out wide. Bama's offensive line was clearly better, though, than the Kentucky's, but I don't know. It's going to be an interesting conversation about which quarterback goes first. I would not be surprised at all if Levis went first overall. If that's to the Colts, if that's to the Panthers, hell, if that's to the freaking Raiders. I don't know. Falcons, maybe they trade up to draft a quarterback. I don't know what the hell they're going to do this offseason. Now, I, I was talking to a friend. I was talking to Jared. Actually, on Sunday night, Sunday night was it Sunday night Packers Lions game? Yeah, Sunday night football. And he said Bears trading for Devonte Adams. I don't, I don't like that. I think that the Bears should just wager get as many draft picks as possible. They got a load of cap room, so I would not trade for a top player like that because you're going to lose picks for Devonte Adams that you would have gotten for a team that would be just trying to trade up to get a quarterback. And you're also losing cap room. So to avoid that, you don't trade for a star and you go out to try and sign a big-name player while also getting as many picks as possible. 
to try and build your roster that way, especially since Devontae Adams is over 30 or around 30. I, I know saying that Devontae Adams is clearly the best receiver in the NFL still at this age, and he would be an awesome get for the Bears. But I just think the price is going to be a lot steeper for Devontae Adams. Well, given how much cap space they have, I would just get a player in free agency and then get the picks and not lose picks and also cap space by trading for Devontae Adams, who might not want to be there anymore. Now, he is expected to be a Raider this next coming season, so or wants to be a Raider next coming season or whatever. So we'll see if that stands. And we'll see if Tom Brady or Garoppolo or whoever the hell goes there, Aaron Rodgers, I don't know. Somebody's going to go there this offseason because Derek Carr is gone. Now, it'll be interesting because I said he would go to the Commanders. They just fired their offensive coordinator today. So we'll have to see about that. But the draft's going to be interesting. And the top spot for the quarterback, whether it's the Colts, Panthers, whoever, someone's going to trade up for a top pick in the draft. I don't think the Bears should trade Justin Fields. A trade pick away, get the top four picks still, or at least top five. Because who knows? Let's say, hypothetically, the Panthers don't want to leverage their future and trade up to five and then trade up from five to one. Maybe that's what happens. Because there's teams that trade up twice all the time. You look at the Buffalo Bills in 2018, they traded from 21 to 12 to seven to get Josh Allen. It's like it happens all the time, teams trading up multiple times. Not all the time, but it happens where teams trade up all the time. And the Panthers... With Will Levis, who gets compared to Josh Allen all the time, maybe they want to do that. I still think that Anthony Richardson's more Josh Allen than Will Levis is. I've said that a thousand times in this show. But people want to keep comparing Will Levis to Josh Allen, which is fine. It's, it's like Will Levis has jumped over people. Josh Allen's jumped over people. So, I mean, there's there's some similarities there. But I'm intrigued where Anthony Richardson goes. I did see someone on Twitter say, um, what was this? Draft Anthony Richardson and make Fields a slot receiver. <laughs> I don't know how true that take is. I just think it's funny. Apparently, it was on a Bears Loop Instagram page. Some Bears fans seem to not be so, and then I didn't click the more tab, but I think that's a funny take. Caller here on 670 suggesting the Bears should draft Anthony Richardson and make Fields a slot receiver. I can't do this all offseason. Well, guess what? You're going to have to. It's silly season. You're going to have to deal with that shit every single day. Every day. Now, with Justin Fields in the 2022 NFL draft class, or 2021 NFL draft class, sorry, they got Fields at 11, traded up to get him. Another team that traded up in the draft with the 49ers take Trey Lance. And I've talked about this before on the show, about the whole thing between Trey Lance and Brock Purdy, and it's going to be a battle between Shanahan and Lynch. That's the battle. Because Lynch wagered the future on getting uh, Trey Lance and got a value pick in Brock Purdy with this relevant this past year. Value pick. Teams value the board. Some teams that are the smart teams in the NFL pick off board rather than need. Like, the Bills didn't need Jake Fromm a few years ago, but they thought the value was good, so they, traded him, they drafted him in the fifth round. Didn't work out. Obviously, Jake Fromm wasn't going to be the guy in Buffalo or anything. He wasn't going to be there very long, but best player available. The Ravens have been masters at doing that throughout their history, especially with Ozzie Newsome. Like, they're a very smart team. John Lynch seems to be a very smart GM. But they traded up to get Lance. Traded a lot away to get Trey Lance. So... This is a situation, and that's another situation. Like the Dolphins traded back and then back up. So they traded twice in one draft, too, because they traded from three to 12 to six. Interesting how that one worked out. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a battle between Lynch and Shanahan. Because it's again, Shanahan's mindset is we want to run this exactly how it is. I don't need someone doing fancy stuff, which is exactly what Mike Shanahan did when they drafted RG3. Daniel Snyder, uh, uh, Bruce Allen wanted to trade up in the draft to get RG3. 
Trade up, have, moved heaven and earth to get RG3, moved to second overall. Andrew Luck went first, RG3 went second. Tried to Kirk Cousins in the fourth or fifth round of that draft, too. RG3 gets hurt. Kirk Cousins comes in. RG3 gets a spot back. It's hurt again. Kirk sees it out for the rest of his career. RG3's gone. RG3's an analyst on ESPN. So what happened there was, essentially, Shanahan did what the ownership wanted. Ownership traded up to get RG3, so when he gets back and healthy, he gets the job back. How long he keeps it de- depends on Shanahan. And that's the situation that's going to go on here, between Lance and Purdy. Because right now, and that we've had a few weeks since the whole Purdy mania kicked off and Brock Purdy's really not dropped any level at this point. His level has not dropped. Brock Purdy has played very, very well. has been very consistent for the 49ers. He's targeting George Kittle. Christian McCaffrey looks freaking awesome on this team. Brandon Ayuk just got 1,000 yards this season. And right now, Peter Schrager ranks him as the number one rookie in the NFL. Above first-round draft picks like Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and Anthony Aiden Hutchinson. And then Kenneth Walker's there, but he was a second-round pick. Now, I again, I don't know the whole stipulation around how many games you had to play to win Rookie of the Year. But I wouldn't be shocked if he did. I do think, because if you look at the NFL, at least on the, the the offensive side of the ball, has there really been any standout offensive rookie of the year's candidates this year? I mean, you had, like, Walker. Hall was probably going to win it before he tore his ACL against the Broncos. They got Alave. They got Wilson. And then Pickett's played well as of late. He's in a way worse situation, though, than Brock Purdy is. Like, who's the other standout guy? So I could see a reality where they are like, yeah, Purdy's played well. Purdy's undefeated as a starter for the Niners. Now, again, they have a lot of other pieces there that are like, this is really good. We have the number one defense in the NFL. We have Kittle, Ayuk, McCaffrey, solid off the line. Like, they have all the pieces there to be successful. It's just a matter of you not screwing it up, and then you'll be fine. Which is, again... The whole Trey Lance versus Mac Jones thing. Mac Jones is ready right now. Mac Jones has already finished his second year in the NFL as a full-time starter. Apart from injuries, he's started every game he's been healthy for. And then Lance has played three games. Two and a half. Snapped his ankle in his third one. So we've looking at Lance, who is, for the future, a better option than Mac Jones. That's Lynch's mindset. Lance has the most is the biggest project piece in this draft class. But his ceiling is the highest out of these 2021 draft picks. That's Lawrence, Wilson, Lance, Fields, and Jones. Out of those five, you could argue, and I will, that Lance has the highest ceiling. The problem is he has the lowest floor, by far. Because he hasn't played. He still hasn't played. We don't know about him. And when you're a GM, your job is to build for the future. You get the guy with the highest, highest highest ceiling. Mac Jones' floor is higher, but his ceiling is nowhere near Trey Lance, if he reaches his full potential. But Shanahan wants a guy that can play right now because coaches are playing for their job every game. GM's job is built for the future. Coach's job is to play for the here and now. Purdy is a guy that will not screw anything up. Purdy's a guy that if he plays, lets the game come to him and uses the weapons that he has, is good enough to get this team far. And if, if the Niners win the Super Bowl this year, we will not be having this conversation about who's the starter in, 40 in San Francisco. It'll be Brock Purdy. It'll be Brock Purdy. I don't care if Lance starts the first preseason game. They will find a buyer before then, and Purdy will be the starter. Because it's the exact same situation, or it's not exact same, but similar-ish situation to the New England Patriots. Drew Bledsoe, for those of you unaware, and I think I've got this right, was the first $100 million player in NFL history. First one ever 
In NFL history, first $100 million player. Tom Brady's pick 199. Drew Bledsoe gets hurt against the Jets. Brady comes in and wins the Super Bowl. Bledsoe comes in in the playoff game against the Steelers when Tom Brady gets knocked out. Because people always think the tuck rule game is the AFC Championship game. No, that was the divisional round. They played the Steelers in the AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh and won that game. And Brady comes in and wins the Super Bowl. So, this is a kind of a similar situation. Brady comes in and wins the Super Bowl. You kind of got to trade your $100 million asset before it depreciates too much. It's kind of deciding which person you want to go with, Purdy or Lance. You can get more for Bloodsoe or Lance than you will for Brady or Purdy, at least at that time. Because you're going to ask for a lot because you gave up a lot to get said guy. Now, the Patriots gave up a lot of money. 49ers gave up a lot of picks. So, it's an interesting dichotomy that we got here with the Purdy and Lance. It is a battle of Shanahan coaching staff versus GM and ownership. But again, if Purdy wins the Super Bowl, we're not even having this conversation. We have the conversation if he loses the first round of the playoffs, which I highly doubt that Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers will lose the first round of the playoffs. I highly doubt that. Highly doubt that. Because right now they are playing, who are they playing? The Seahawks. I really have a hard time believing they're going to lose the Seattle Seahawks, especially at home. Purdy's second start in the NFL was at Seattle, and he played well. Granted, he should have had a couple interceptions that game, but didn't happen. Seahawks defenders dropped the ball. So now we're going in with Purdy going in his sixth start, I believe. And it's the Seattle team that squeaked in the playoffs because the Detroit Lions exist. Hell yeah, Lions. Awesome game. Love the mindset there as well in Detroit. If Purdy loses week one or loses this game, then we're having the conversation next year. And I bet it would be about a 60-40 shot for him to win the starting job back. Maybe 70-30. Because, again, this stuff invested in Lance. And Purdy lost first round of the playoffs against a team, the lowest-seeded team in the playoffs next to the Dolphins. Them and the Dolphins are two lowest-seeded teams in the playoffs. And one would say the Seahawks are the worst team in the playoffs next to, like, the Buccaneers or something. So if he loses that team, then we're at a 70-30 chance Lance starts. If he wins that game, we're at a 65-35% chance Lance starts. If he wins that game, we are at a 55-45. It goes that quickly. 55-45 chance Lance starts. He wins that game. We're 49-51% chance Lance starts. He wins that game. 100% chance. I, I'm not going to say 100. 85% chance Purdy starts next year. Week one. It's going to be week by week. It's going to be week by week. So you know how much more they have invested in Lance than Purdy? They have nothing invested in Purdy. Absolutely nothing. He's the last pick of the draft. They have absolutely nothing invested in him. So, we'll have to play this one out. It'll be fun, though. It'll be fun. And I really... I, I He's not going to win the Super Bowl, obviously. So he's got to go through the Buffalo Bills, hypothetically. So, we'll go through a whole playoff prediction video, or video... Whole playoff prediction thing here in a in a uh, well we'll do it Friday because we gotta do it before the playoff games obviously but we're gonna do a quick thing right now and we're gonna recap the season for each NFL team each NFL team we gotta go over a recap the season because some seasons went better than others some teams did horrifically like let's pull up our preseason predictions let us see go to Drive go to my Google Drive see if I can find this because I can never find my exact predictions because I could find the wrong thing <laughs> which is all which seems to happen quite a bit uh, I got a lot of mock drafts 
Okay, I, I skipped it or something. I Did I put 2023 NFL predictions? What did I call this? Uh, i got to remember which one I did because I have two here. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I think it's this one. I think it's this one because I have I have awards down here. I have awards on this one too. Crap. Um, <laughs> well, where the which one is it? Okay, hold on. I I gotta try and figure this one out. Where is my NFL playoff predictor website? There we go. Hopefully it stayed. Is this it? No way, this is, that's not why I predicted the start. No way, no way, no way. Did I post them on Instagram or something? I had to post it somewhere, right? I, did, I didn't make a video this year, so I've got to... I've got to have it somewhere. Because I have predictions here, but I don't know if they're the correct ones. Okay, I found them. I found them, I found them, I found them, I found them. Ooh, and some are cooler than others. <laughs> Let's just let's just put it like that. Oh man. Okay. Well, let's go through this real quick. Let's go through this. So we're starting off with the. Um, did I make some adjustments on this? I want to make sure that this this one of them's <laughs> they're equal with each other. Or did I make some sort of weird ass adjustments while doing this? No, no, I think we're good. All right, so starting off with the AFC North, we're good. North, South, East, West. We had the Bengals winning the division at eleven and six. Eleven and six with Cincinnati Bengals record prediction. They finished twelve and four. So the worst they could have finished is twelve and five. Best they could have finished is thirteen and four. Had they played the game against the Buffalo Bills. So we'll take that one. We are one game off of that one. I don't remember what my reasoning was behind it because I, I just think like the Bengals. There's the Bengals. They started off a lot worse than what I was expecting them to. I wasn't expecting them to come out of the season, lose their first two games. So, hypothetically, they win those first two games. We're talking about a completely different season for the Bengals. They got their random-ass loss to the Browns. They lost 32-13, and they lost to the Ravens by two. But, like, they, they 13 sacks in the first two games. That really hurt them at the start of the year. That really hurt them. It's one of those things, if Joe Burrow's upright and healthy, they're fine. But if he's not... Then we're having some problems. And they they figured their shit out after that. They lost only two games the rest of the year and dominated a lot of games they played this year. So, yeah, 11-6. I'm not too upset about that. I had the Ravens going 10-7. and seven. The Ravens this year went. What do you want to take a guess of what they went? 10-7. and seven. Let's give ourselves a round of applause. Now, 10-7 and seven in my thing was predicted with Lamar Jackson playing the entire year. This is 10-7 and seven with them playing with Anthony Brown and with Tyler Huntley as well. They lost three of their last four games, lost to the Browns, Steelers, and Bengals to round out the season, beat the Falcons 17-9. They finished it so weird. When Lamar Jackson went down hurt, their season went, like, super weird. They stopped scoring. They just stopped scoring. They, they forgot how to score. Like, what was the first game Lamar Jackson? So Lamar played against the Jaguars, and then Lamar did not play against the Broncos, right? Yeah, okay. So... Post-Jaguars game, where they lost 27-28, they scored 10 points, 16 points, 3 points, 17 points, 13 points, 16 points. They didn't score over 20 points in those last however many games, last six games of the season, they just scored over 20 points. So I really don't have any fear of them beating the Bengals if Lamar Jackson's not playing, especially if Anthony Brown's playing. Like, the score in the Bengals-Ravens last game of the regular season, it should have been a lot worse, honestly. Then the next game that we had on here was the Pittsburgh Steelers at 8-9. and nine. 
and they finished nine and eight. They finished nine and eight. Now that's impressive enough that they finished nine and eight. Like the way they started the season, how they played towards the end. Like they rattled off what one, two, three, four, five, six. They won six of the last seven games, and one of those games they lost. They lost by two to the Ravens, and they returned the favor, beat the Ravens by three points, and winning me my fantasy football championship. A round of applause for the Steelers again. Yeah, for how the Steelers started, how they finished, it's damn impressive. Mike Tomlin never had a losing season in his throughout his career as Steelers coach. I think it's 16 straight seasons without a losing season or losing record. Like, he's a great coach. Great coach. I think Kenny Pickett played well this year. Uh, I don't think he played amazing, but I think he played well given the circumstances. But, yeah, I think they got a guy at quarterback. I think they got a guy. Now they just got to get him an off the line to help him a little bit. Then we had the Cleveland Browns at 7-10. and 10, And guess what? The Browns finished 7-10. Woo! So you want to be technical, we were a grand total of two games off in that division. Two games off. Two wins. So I had one less win for the Steelers, I had one less win for the Bengals. On that, we got the Ravens and Steelers. Browns exactly right, 10-7. 7-10 for the Browns. Yeah, I, the Browns I thought was pretty easy. Either Deshaun Watson think would be a massive distraction this season, it was. They did not play very well. They played pretty bad, actually. They played pretty bad. Had some moments, I, if you want to call them that, I guess. But they're, like that Bengals game... It was interesting how they managed to beat the Bengals 32-13. But, yeah, just a bunch of not very good stuff. So we had North, South, East, West. We had the Buffalo Bills next at 14-3. They finished 13-3. So the best they could have finished is 14-3. Worst they could finish is 13-4. I'll take that. We'll take that. Especially without the Bills played at certain points of the season. There is – there. I, this could be biased. It is biased. There's a, they should be undefeated right now. You look at the games they lost. They shot themselves in the foot. The game I'm not upset about them losing is the Jets one because that one just pissed me off so much. They played so bad that I'm not even really upset about that game anymore. I was livid at the time. I'm kind of cool about it now because that's one where I'm like, yeah, I don't, I didn't want them to win that game anymore. But yeah, they they should really be undefeated. They are a good team, and Josh Allen had moments where he was up and down, but I think a lot of that was due to his elbow injury, which again was a Tommy John injury or an injury that would require Tommy John surgery and did not get it. So. We'll see how he does for the rest of the playoffs, but he played well this past game against the Patriots, barring the interception. But yeah, 13-3, 14-3, same exact thing. Dolphins had him at 9-8. Guess what they finished? 9-8. and eight. Yeah, I was not really confident about the Dolphins going in this year. I, they were making so much noise going into the season. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. They're not going to be able to back this up. And I, maybe they're different if Tua's healthy the entire year and they're not going to Skylar Thompson to play games, but... I don't know. They're they're not a great team. I think they're fine. I think the piece they added this offseason are good. Like, Tyreek Hill has been proven he's awesome still. Like, they have good pieces. Mike McDaniel's a decent enough head coach, but, yeah, they're not great. They're not great. Then we had the Patriots next. Well, I guess we had the Patriots at? We had them in 8-9. So that's three. If you want to be technical, so the Bills and Bengals game didn't count. That's three straight perfect records. Three straight perfect records. I didn't think the Patriots were very good. They didn't do anything this offseason that really made me think that they were going to be better than what they were last year. They went 10-7, and seven, I think, last year. Nothing they did was like, oh, the Patriots are making some noise. The noise they did was lose Josh McDaniels, who's not great in his own right, but then bring in Joe Judge and Matt Patricia to co-coordinate the offense. That was never going to work. Never going to work. So they finished 8-9, and nine, and I had them at 8-9. And then the Jets, I had them at 5-12. and 12. They finished 7-10. and 10. They played better than I thought they would this year. They played better. I, I like the pieces that they have on this roster. I think they drafted really well. But that end of the season, they just absolutely shit the bed. That last half of the season was brutal. After they beat the Bills, they won one game. It was against the Bears. Won one game. They went one and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They went one for their last eight games. 
Finished one and seven. Having some games in there, they probably should have won, but we'll take that. Two games off. So again, like the AFC North, we're two games off in that division as well. AFC South, and this is where we have a little bit of an issue here. Colts, what the hell happened? I am at 10 and 7. I thought some of the moves they made, they were going to be like, oh, this team's going to be good. Jonathan Taylor's fresh off leading the NFL in rushing yards. They have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, so I, so I thought. You have DeForest Buckner, Shaq Leonard on defense. You got brought in Yannick Ngakwe from, from Vegas. You brought in Matt Ryan to replace the erratic Carson Wentz. And then you go 4-12-1. and I'm not even going to talk about that. That that Colts sucked this year. Titans, I am at 9-8. and eight. They finished 7-10. and 10. Two games off. I didn't think the Titans were very good. I don't like the Titans. They just fired their offensive coordinator today. Not surprised by that at all. Their offense is dreadful. I hate watching the Tennessee Titans play football. I absolutely hate it. They're a bore. I hate them in general. Like, they're such a dickheadish team. But they're so boring. They're so boring. That's their big thing. Like, they're just monotonous. It's like, I get Derrick Henry's really good, but just have some other option here. They were like second to last in the NFL in yards with by receivers or something like that. They might have finished last. I don't know. Maybe the Bears beat them in the last week of the season. I don't know. But yeah, the Titans aren't very good. I had them at nine and eight. They finished nine, seven and nine or seven and 10. Jaguars. Uh, you could just flip them and the Colts record predictions around. I would have been closer. The Jaguars finished nine and eight, won the division, and I had them at five and twelve. I thought they'd be better than what they were last year. I had really no doubt about that. I just didn't think that a lot of the moves they made were like, this is going to turn them into a playoff team. I think the moves they made made them better than the Titans and Colts, and yet they did. Those moves definitely made them better than the Titans and Colts because the Titans and Colts suck cock. Like that's the biggest thing I could say about that. I thought Christian Kirk coming in, resetting the receiver market was very weird. Zay Jones getting $30 million was weird. I liked getting in Brandon Scherf. I loved getting Doug Peterson. But I, like, at the start of the year, they were not a very good team. I was pretty confident in my prediction. But they played some great football as the season went on. Great football. Trevor Lawrence was really, really good at the end, last part of the season. They were scoring a crap ton of points. Like, they were just scoring at will. They started off, they won two of their first three games, then rattled off five straight losses. And then beat the Raiders, lost the Chiefs. Then beat the Ravens, lost the Lions. And then ran off five straight wins to win the division. And some impressive games as well. Like the one against the Cowboys. Damn impressive game. Loved watching that game. Well, I didn't watch it. We heard it on the radio. Loved hearing it, that game, I should say. But I like the Jaguars now. I didn't like them when they were when they had Jalen Ramsey and they were talking a load of shit for, you know, winning 10 games and having Blake Bortles as a quarterback. And then they finished up, I think, 4-12 or 5-13. and 13, Or 5-12 and 12 and 4-12. and 12, Or 4-12. and 12, 4 how did records work back then? <laughs> they had four and twelve and five and eleven. There we go. They finished one of those two records when the in twenty eighteen. I don't remember which one it was, but yeah, I like the. I'm glad they won the division. The Texans, yeah, coming in last three thirteen and one. I had them going four and thirteen. So apart that from that tie against the Colts, yeah, I'll take that one. So that's the only one I got close. I mean, the Texans, Titans, one I got two games off, two games off the Titans. So I'll take that one. Uh, then the AFC West. I had the Chiefs winning the division. I didn't really have a hard time predicting that one. I was like, as long as 15's still there, I think they'll be fine, and they are fine. They finished with the best record in the NFL, at least joint best record in the NFL with the Eagles. We don't know if the Bill, what the Bills could have done. Maybe they finished with a game less or a game more. Who the hell knows? The Bills, again, didn't lose, lost one seed, so, you know, whatever. But I had the Chiefs going 12-5. and five. I didn't like their defense. That was the big issue there. I really had no issues on the offense. Their defense, I'm just not a big fan of. I liked their draft picks, bringing in Trent McDuffie and George Kalaftis in the first round, but just wasn't a fan of their defense. Wasn't a fan of their overall defense. They tried to make changes there, but it's just not 
not great. So that was my main reason behind that, if I believe. I don't. I haven't gone back and listened to my show where I talked about this, but that's the main reason why I wasn't so high on him. I liked them drafting Sky Moore. Liked that one a lot. I thought their offensive line was pretty solid. You still got Mahomes there, still got Kelsey there. Juju was a nice signing. Yeah, 12-5, and five, had no problems predicting them win the division. Chargers, I had them going 11-6. and six, They finished 10-7. and seven. Yeah, there's some games I'm sure the Chargers would really like to have back. That Chiefs game, both Chiefs games, should have probably had both those games back. Your weird-ass game against the Jaguars, we lost by 28 points at home. Yeah, that was another really, really weird game. But the Chargers are just a weird team. They got blown up by the Seahawks at home, too. It's like they're... They lost the Broncos last week of the regular season, which I a game I did not expect them to lose at all, which would have got my record exactly right. But yeah, the Chargers are really talented. And they battled a lot of injuries this year. Mike Williams being out this season, or lot or Keenan Allen being a lot, lot eh, out a lot this season. Mike Williams battling some injuries as well. Uh JC Jackson going out for the season. So they've had some injuries, but I liked the signings they've made. And they're a good team. They're a good team. Rashawn Slater being out, I I saw something where he might be activated for the playoffs, which would be big. Would be really big. Then we get into some not great predictions. So we had the Broncos finishing third at ten and seven. Uh, they finished five and twelve. Brutal, brutal. I did not think Nathaniel Hackett would be that bad. I mean, I watched him with EJ Manuel in that offense, but man, I didn't think it could be that bad. I didn't think it'd be that bad. Like that was brutal, and it was scary after that first game with the Seahawks. You're like, oh no, this team stinks. Their clock management, he is way over his skis on this one. They stink, and now he's rightfully fired, but they finished 5-12. Less said about them, the better. And the Raiders finishing 6-11, I had them going 9-8. and eight. Yeah, I was I I was told I was low on the Raiders to start of the season. I was like, why am I low on the Raiders? How am I low on the Raiders? They had Josh McDaniels as the head coach. They got solid piece on offense, but their defense is nothing special. They got a really good piece on offense, who even played better than I thought they would, and Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs. But, yeah, they... I was I was told <laughs> that I was lowballing them. I am nine and eight. They finished six and eleven, and we're lucky to finish six and eleven as well. But uh, yeah, that was my AFC predictions. AFC East almost got exactly bang on. AFC North was pretty accurate too. AFC South no. AFC West first half was good. Second half not so good. Um, but we're just looking at where I predicted each team to finish. I got AFC East exactly right. I got the AFC North exactly right. I got the AFC South nowhere right, and I got the AFC West one game one. Just a flip around between the Broncos and Raiders. So we just do that one. Then we got the NFC. Then we got the, I guess we got playoff stuff here as well. So I had the Bills as the uh, the one, should have been. Chiefs as the two, Bengals three, Colts four. So that's what it should have been. That's what it should be. But, you know, we got to pander to the team that's not, the NFL does not pander to us. And you know what's funny? I actually think that this, <laughs> I got every team in the playoffs right apart from the, the AFC South winner. I uh, no, I got the seven seed wrong too. Never mind. I had the Broncos in there instead of the Dolphins. I flipped a coin on that one essentially. I know I had the one more win, but I was I was toying with that one quite a bit. But the divisional round, I think that's how it's going to go. I think the Chargers will beat the Jaguars. I think the Bengals will beat the Ravens. I think the Bills will beat the the Dolphins. But it's a little bit different matchup. We got the Bills, Bengals, and Chiefs, Chargers. But in this one, I had Bills, Chargers, Chiefs, Bengals. But I still think it'll be Bills, Bengals, or Bills, Chiefs, AFC Championship game. Knock on wood. But we'll, again, we'll get to that later. Then we got the NFC North, brutal, absolutely brutal. I thought the Vikings would be good. I had them at ten and seven. Uh, they finished thirteen and four. They're very good. They're very very good, and uh, are not very very good. They were good offensively at times, and then they just completely shut off and forget how to be a football team. Like I, a very confusing team. They had the Packers at twelve and five. Yeah, that didn't happen. Missed the playoffs. Eight and nine. Less said about that, the better. Then we had the Lions at six and eleven. Uh, Lions finished nine and eight. 
which I knew they would be better than what they were last year. I didn't think they'd be this good. Like, they had a really good offense. They had a really good offense. They averaged more points or scored more points and gave up the same amount of points as the Minnesota Vikings. Like, the Vikings gave up – Vikings and Lions gave up 427 points this year. And the Lions scored 453. They had a plus 26-point differential. The Vikings had a minus three, which is brutal. Absolutely brutal. So that's why I had to catch myself swiftly when I was talking about them being a really good team. And I had the Bears at 3-14. and 14. So we got that prediction exactly right. Nice. I had them as the number two overall pick because I had a team finishing way uh, two wins, but I'll, we'll get to them in a little bit. And then we got the a- NFC East and the Eagles winning it at 11 and 6. They finished 14 and 3. I was pretty confident they were going to be better. I didn't think they'd be 14 and 3 better, but they're they're a good team. They're a good team. They had the Cowboys finishing second at 10 and 7. They finished 12 and 5. Yeah, I thought they'd be, be I thought they'd be a good team. I was pretty confident with those two teams. And then we had the Commanders in second at 7 and 10. They finished 8 8 and 1 because remember them and the Giants tied. And then I had the Giants at 5-12. and 12. They finished 9-7-1. and one. I thought they'd be better than what they were last year, at least coaching-wise, and work to get better for the next season because the receiving core wasn't very good, especially after they traded Kadarius Toney. So I was a little nervous. But Brian Dable ride the ship. Brian Dable, awesome coach. Awesome, awesome coach. Got the Giants to the playoffs, which is really cool. Uh, NFC South, Bucks, pretty confident they were going to win 12-5. and five. Let's just put it like this. No team in this division went over 500. And I had the Saints finishing 9-8. and eight. So that didn't help me. But that being said, I had the Panthers finishing 7-10, and 10, and they finished 7-10. and 10. So there's a correct prediction. That prediction was out of spite because stupid people out there said that Baker Mayfield going to the Panthers would be a, make him a playoff team. They wouldn't be a playoff team with a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, let alone Baker Mayfield. He was, going to, he was downing tools in Carolina from what he had in Cleveland. They were not going to be a playoff team. The Panthers were not better than the Browns, even though they had the same record and I predicted they had the same record. I predicted Browns more off of distraction-based stuff. Panthers are more Browns are more skilled than the Panthers. Coaching-wise as well. I don't think Kevin Spancy's an amazing coach, but he's better than what they had in Carolina. He was better than Matt Rule. So I had them 7-10, they finished 7-10. I have Falcons 2-15, they finished 7-10. I was low on the Falcons. I was not confident in the Falcons at all. They still didn't have a pass rush this season. Mariota quit on the team. Uh, Allgaier played well this year. Drake London was a little up and down. Kyle Pitts was a... Uh, misnomer this year did absolutely nothing because Arthur Smith just didn't want to use him. Uh, what else did the Falcons do? That was pretty much it. I don't know how they finished with seven wins. I don't know how they did it. Crazy that they finished with seven wins. But yeah, a little bit better than two and seven or two and fifteen that I had them. NFC West. Uh, you can flip this record around. You have it right. Uh, Rams twelve and 15, twelve and five. They finished five and twelve. That team reeks. Rams are absolutely horrible. Absolutely horrible. I had the Niners at eleven and six. They finished thirteen and four. And this was me predicting them with Lance. I don't know what I would have predicted had I known that. I don't know. I don't know. I was hoping Lance would play the entire season. Didn't, but, you know, 11-6, and six, I'll take that one. It's fine. Still number one defense in the NFL. I still, they'll be really good, of course, coming into the playoffs. Then I had the Cardinals next at 9-8. and eight. They finished 4-13. Uh, and 13. And the less said about this one, the better uh, Seahawks at 5-12, and 12, they finished 9-8. Now! Now! Out of my entire, well, I guess we could look at the playoffs too. I had the Packers a three seed, Vikings six, Bucks two, Cowboys seven. Bucks, you know, Bucks Cowboys playoff matchups is, is happening, and then we got Eagles Niners. There's one, and then uh, yeah, Rams Bucks in the NFC Championship game that is not happening. One because the Rams aren't in the playoffs, and two the Bucks aren't making it past the first round. I don't think so. Even though Brady's never lost to the Cowboys, and I'm cheering for the Buccaneers in that game because uh, I'm going over to Zach's house to watch the game, too. So it's going to be interesting. I'm excited to see where that one goes. But overall, the AFC side, I, I love my AFC predictions. I'll take the AFC predictions every trip of the train. Like, I think those were very accurate apart from that south and west. I mean, 
the West, this the West was fine, apart from the Raiders and Broncos, and the South was like I got the Texans almost right. They just tied a game. I am at four and thirteen. They finished three thirteen and one. They just tied one game. And it, since the Colts are so far off, I wish they'd won that game because then I have a three and tw- I have a a three and fourteen Colts team or four four and thirteen Colts team and a four and thirteen Texans team. Like you're really gonna be that far off, might as well just lose that game. But yeah, I'll take the predictions. NFC was a little bit more difficult. A little bit more difficult. The, the Giants got that one way wrong. Seahawks obviously got that one way wrong. Rams, Cardinals, way wrong. Buccaneers should have had them win less. Packers missing the playoffs. Lions, Vikings winning three more games. So yeah, how many games were I two off? So I was off two at the bang or let two or less. Two or less. This is how we count the dubs here. So we had the Bengals at eleven and six. They finished twelve. So there's one. Ravens was exactly right. Steelers was one game off. Browns was no games off. That was exactly right. Bills was one game off, but that by default. Dolphins, we got exactly right. Patriots, we got exactly right. Jets, we were two games off, so that counts. So that's, that's eight teams. Our first eight teams were taken. Then we got NFC South, AFC South. Colts didn't get. Titans were two games off. We'll take that one. Texans were two games off. No, not even two games off. A game and a half off because they tied. So we'll take that one. Texans won one, no games at home. I didn't realize that until right now. The Texans were 0-7-1 at home. That is ridiculous. So that's 10 teams right there out of the first 12. So we'll take that. AFC West, Chiefs, two games off. There's 11. Chargers, a game off. Broncos, Raiders, neither. So that's 12 out of 16. I will take that every single day. 12 out of 16 for the AFC side, and then we'll get a little bit different in the NFC. So Packers, no. Vikings, no. Lions, no. Bears, we got that one. Exactly right. Then we got the East, Eagles, no. Cowboys, we got that one. Commanders, yeah, got that one. Giants, no. So that's 15 teams. Then we've got the Bucks, no. Saints, yes. Panthers, got that one exactly right. And the Falcons, no. So that's 17. NFC West, Rams, no. Niners, yes. Cardinals, no. Seahawks, no. So that's 18 teams out of 32. To get two or away, two games or less around that, I'll take that. With multiple teams being exactly right, like how many did we get exactly right? So we got, I'm going to count the Bills and Bengals in that one because they're a game off. It's a game off, so we're counting that one. And they didn't even play that game, so we don't even know. But I'm going to count. Uh, could the Bengals have finished? They would have been 12-5. and five. So never mind. The Bengals one wouldn't count. But the, the Bills one, we could have gotten exactly right. So we got Bills, Dolphins, Patriots, Ravens, uh, not Steelers, Browns. So there's five. Texans were counting that one because they tied. Then uh, Chargers, we were game off. So not that one. So there's six that we're counting. There's some uh, odd ones in there. Then we've got the Bears, exactly right. We got the Panthers, exactly right. We got counting the Commanders because they tied. We're seven and nine, or seven and ten. So if they lost that game, we're at, no, no, they can't get that one either. Never mind. Then we got, so that was it. So eight teams, exactly right. I'll take it. It's not perfect, but I'll take it. But I think, like, you look at the biggest disappointment of the season, the Rams. You just won the Super Bowl. You finished 5-12. and 12. And then biggest surprise this season, the Giants, maybe. Giants or Jags? I Jaguars went from the number one overall pick to a division winner. Now, granted, that division winner was nine wins, but still impressive. Anybody else that's, like, I think Giants and Jaguars are probably the two most insane games, insane teams that I saw, like, in regards to Seahawks. No one thought the Seahawks would be 9-8, and eight, let alone make the playoffs. 
be over 500, let alone make the playoffs. So those are probably your surprise ones. What we do for predictions, so I had predictions on there. Hold up. I should have looked at that. We'll see how wrong these things are. Duh, 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 duh. Uh, MVP, Josh Allen, Offensive Player of the Year, Josh Allen, no and no. Defensive Player of the Year, Miles Garrett, no. Coach of the Year, Sean McDermott, should be. Comeback Player of the Year, Derrick Henry, uh, no. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Romeo Dobbs, no. I think he could have been had he stayed healthy, but no. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Aiden Hutchinson. It's close. Him and Sauce Gardner is going to be close. It's going to be a close one between those two. But MVP, we already said Patrick Mahomes. Odds Player of the Year is Justin Jefferson. Defensive Player of the Year is Nick Bosa. Coach of the Year, well, I would be fine with Dable, but I would hope it's Sean McDermott. There's a few coaches that could be mentioned up there, but I think Sean McDermott should win it. Not just for the Bengals thing, but for um, what they've had to weather this year in regards to moving away from Buffalo after getting the Yao Ming amount of snow, going three games in 12 days or something like that with no practice in there, uh, Von Miller getting hurt, uh, Micah Hyde getting hurt, uh, yeah, there's just been a lot of different things. Star players getting hurt left, right, and center. So, yeah, I think Sean McDermott should win it. Comeback player of the year? Who'll be comeback player of the year? Um, is there anybody that I'm just – Geno Smith probably? I think he'd probably win it. Is there anybody else I'm really forgetting about with comeback player of the year? Like, I, like egregiously forgetting about. Someone could be screaming at the, the radio right now, but I don't – I can't think of anybody. Comeback player of the year. Comeback player of the year. Comeback player of the year. I would I would guess Geno. That's what I would take. If I had to guess, I would guess Geno would win that. Offensive Rookie of the Year, uh, Brock Purdy. And the Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, Aiden Hutchinson or Sauce Gardner. One of those two. Don't really care which one. It'll be one of those two. I'm fine with either one. Garrett Wilson will also be up there for the Rookie of the Year for offensive side of things. Kenneth Walker will be up there as well. But, yeah, I, I just think what Purdy's been doing and how good he's been playing as a seventh-round draft pick, I think that's impressive. I don't know if he's met the criteria to win Rookie of the Year or anything, but – he might have the, the career low number of games played to win Rookie of the Year. But you know what? He's in the running, which is just cool enough for me. So I think that's all I've really got for you today. Unless I'm completely spacing off on something. Uh, oh, I saw a thing today that um, the Bills basically canceled the game, not the NFL, which is not surprising at all. I think we said that last week or on Monday where the NFL just trying to cover their ass about that. I, I think that was pretty obvious. I think everybody was kind of expecting the Bills and Bills and Bengals to continue playing that game. NFL was just trying to save themselves there. Um, Ken Dorsey getting interviewed as the Panthers head coach. Not really surprised his connection with the Panthers organization was a quarterback coach there when you know the Bills had all their connections there. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a head coaching job there. I don't think he deserves one this year. I don't think he's done great as the offensive coordinator. I think he's done fine. But I said this on Monday. If the Bills had Brian Dables or OC, they're undefeated right now. There's just little things that you can tell Dorsey's in his first year with his player selection and play calling. It's just like, okay, dude, we're, we're trying a little bit too much here. We're trying too hard here. We're not thinking. Or we're doing an air raid offense here. We're doing the the freaking Houston Oilers offense from the freaking eight nineties. Like we're we're not we're playing the run and shoot. Let's let's slow it down here. If Dables the coach, we're undefeated right now. Using of the rookies, using of new players, trying to failing to get new optimal skill position players in the team, in the game, like Cook, like Hines, like why are these guys not playing more? So yeah, I don't think he deserves a head coaching job. I bet it'll be Frank Reich. Get a guy they're familiar with. He was one of the quarterbacks there when the Panthers first became a team in the '90s. Uh, then we got the Colts. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is the heavily linked guy there. Then we've got the Cardinals fire Cliff Kingsbury, which shocked. 
Uh, what other ones? I bet Dan Quinn's the Broncos coach, if I had to guess, because they really liked him. He was apparently number two, apparently assembling a staff before they hired Hackett. Texans, I saw D'Amico Ryans, but I don't know if he wants to go there. He's a former player there. He's the current defense coordinator for the Niners. I don't know. Sean Payton's going to be an interesting one because I don't know what team's going to give up first-round draft pick to get Sean Payton. That's going to be – that's a high price. It's a high price for a coach who hasn't coached a little bit. But we'll see. We'll see. There's a – we got some fun stuff. We got some fun stuff. We'll go over the playoff completely on uh, on Friday, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And this is another thing. Like, speaking of Ken Dorsey, that's what Stetson Bennett kind of is. He's Ken Dorsey of Georgia. Like – Good quarterback, just not screwing it up for them. They have the players to win the games. So let's just not screw it up, and we'll do fine. So, yeah, that's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blamish. I do hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I sincerely apologize. We'll try to be better next time. And with that, I will see you all later. I'm going to try and play some basketball, try not to hurt myself. So we'll see how that one goes. You'll hear about that one on Friday, hopefully. So I'll see you all later. Peace.